He is risen. He is risen it is good to be with you all as a church family this morning. This Sunday is the second Sunday of Easter, and it's meant to be the joyous continuation of the Easter celebration. But in many churches, it can feel like showing up at a party after most of the guests have left. In some circles, the Sunday after Easter is called Low Sunday. There are fewer Alleluia's, not as many Easter lilies. The choir may take a break, though not ours, thank you. <laughs> and let's face it, some may choose to stay home. The reality is, however, that we've always lived like the Sunday after Easter. We missed Easter by about 2,000 years. We hear the accounts of Easter, but we were not there. Our text from John's Gospel reminds us that it's hard to live into the reality of Easter. Even though Mary has told the disciples that very morning that she has seen the risen Lord, the disciples dismissed her words and locked themselves in a room to hide. It's Easter evening, and that's where we pick up in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, and I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's have some fun. Humpty Dumpty sat on a Humpty Dumpty had a great All the king's horses and all the king's couldn't put Humpty together. Again, indeed. Since the 18th century, the story of Humpty Dumpty has grabbed human attention and imagination. I've always wondered how he fell. Did Humpty Dumpty lose his balance? Was he pushed? In his memoir called Tiz, author and teacher Frank McCourt asked his high school students, what's going on in this nursery rhyme? One student says, well, this egg falls off the wall, and if you study biology and physics, you know you can never put an egg back together again. It's common sense. Mr. McCourt asks, so who says it's an egg? Of course it's an egg. Everyone knows that. But where does it say it's an egg? Because, Mr. McCourt, it's in all the pictures, and whoever drew the first picture must have known the guy who wrote the poem 
or he'd never have made it an egg. And that's when Mr. McCourt says, okay, we'll let it be, but I know the future lawyers in this class will never accept an egg where there is no evidence of egg, end quote. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. We find the beginning of all falls in Genesis with Adam and Eve in the garden. That was the beginning of brokenness when Adam and Eve couldn't put themselves back together again. And what does it mean to be broken anyway? We may find ourselves broken due to a variety of things, such as unhealthy relationships, physical or mental pain, or just plain old sin. We don't want to be broken. We try to avoid becoming broken, I mean, who wants cracks? We don't choose to be broken, but we are. We try to cover up our weaknesses by drinking, eating, running, hiding, or medicating ourselves in a variety of ways, some of which ultimately hurt us or others. Maybe it's our way of trying to put ourselves back together again. But all the king's horses and all the king's men and all the medication, drugs, alcohol, eating, hiding, and running away couldn't do it for Humpty Dumpty, and it can't for us either. The disciples were no different. On Easter morning, they heard the witness of Mary Magdalene that she had seen the risen Lord. But by evening, they're hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. The disciples were broken, and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to put themselves back together again. They were afraid, terrified actually, of those who had power over them, so they hid behind locked doors. The good news from our text this morning is that human brokenness, weakness, and failure do not prevent Christ from being present in power and grace. Locked doors, darkness, and isolation do not keep Jesus from appearing among the disciples. His first act is to give them peace, the peace that he promised them before his crucifixion and the peace that they desperately needed. Peace, peace be with you. Usually in the New Testament, peace stands for the Hebrew word shalom. A rabbi friend of mine describes shalom as completeness, wholeness, safety, and well-being. It means full and complete. Peace I give you, my peace I give you. This connection with the risen Jesus led to the commissioning of the disciples. Jesus showed them his wounds, gives them peace, and sends them out. This is good news if you happen to be broken. Grief, trauma, exhaustion, fear, depression, confusion, 
anxiety. They hit close to home, don't they? And like the disciples, Jesus shows up and gives us peace. He invites us to look at his wounds and sends us out. In her book called Gospel Medicine, author and Episcopal priest Barbara Brown Taylor describes Jesus in his post-resurrection appearances as the suffering servant, the broken one, who comes into his glory with his wounds still visible. Those hurt places are the proof that he is who he says he is, which means that we are not to despise the painful parts of our lives. Barbara Brown Taylor calls it blessed brokenness. Jesus seems to prefer working with broken people, with broken dreams, in a broken and hurting world. In our text for today, the risen Jesus is looking for his disciples, who are broken people with broken dreams in a broken world. And they are hidden behind locked doors. The stone has been rolled back, the tomb is empty, and the disciples are so afraid that they are behind locked doors. And I wonder, do you and I have reasons for fear? Some fear the future. They fear what may happen with their work, loved ones, or with their health. Others fear what is happening in the world, or society, or the environment. Others fear what did happen because the hurt was so great, it just keeps on hurting. And so we look for a door to hide behind to keep the pain away. When the kids were growing up, before going to bed, my job was to lock all the doors in the house. I liked to hear the click of the locks on the doors. Click, click, I loved that feeling, knowing that the children were nestled all snug in their beds. Even Sandy, our golden retriever, was curled up on her quilt. We're all safe now, family. But houses are not the only ones that have locks. The heart has a lock, too. I'm talking about the human heart. You're in a meeting, and it was supposed to be a discussion, but someone says something you disagree with, and you don't think you'll be heard. Click. You're in a relationship, and you want more in that relationship, but the other shuts down. Click. We all understand the need to be safe, don't we? When Jesus appears behind locked doors in the midst of the disciples, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Again, he says, peace be with you. A week later, he says, peace be with you. 
the gospel writer John does not want us to miss this point. When Jesus finds us, it is to provide peace, a shalom, a restoration of right relationships, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Peace, peace be with you. Then Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. In other words, I'm sending you out from the places you are hiding. John moves pretty quickly from the Easter event to the discovery of peace to the commissioning of the disciples who were sent out from behind locked doors. Sent out. Sent. And what is this mission? Jesus tells us. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And that's when the gospel writer got me this past week as I wrestled with the text. This business of forgiveness, it's right here in verse 23, and it's just so messy and complicated. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message, if you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? Good point, right? So why would Jesus respond to our brokenness, our woundedness, and our fears by giving us the mission to forgive sins? I mean, Jesus has already completed that work on the cross. Well, maybe it's because the mission to forgive sins gives us peace. The word forgive, properly translated, means to let go, to release. And this is its meaning throughout John's Gospel. We think it's safer to lock out others who hurt us, but instead, we are locking ourselves in. The reality is that if we don't forgive sins, God will forgive them anyway. Nobel laureate Desmond Tutu claimed that forgiveness is an act of faith. In his book, No Future Without Forgiveness, Desmond Tutu who was the Archbishop of Cape Town, South Africa, tells the story of how the nation came to a truth and reconciliation process following the horrific years of apartheid. Tutu says that he knew after apartheid had ended, if the nation entered into a process of revenge, the nation would have no way to move forward and there would be no future. Hence the title of the book, No Future Without Forgiveness. Tutu says that the act of forgiveness is an act of faith because in forgiving one another, we are declaring a faith in a future that is different from the past. Forgiveness is an act of faith 
and it takes courage. When my daughter was a senior in high school, Sarah and I traveled to the Congress of Future Medical Leaders in Washington, D.C. High school students from across the country had been invited to meet and interact with doctors, researchers, innovators, and other speakers otherwise related to the medical field. And the teenagers were allowed to communicate with the speakers via social media and could ask questions throughout the entire time we were there. On the second day, we heard from a surgeon who had performed one of the first full face and neck transplants in the world. The surgeon talked a lot about the surgery, medical components that, that were challenging, and other complications. Shortly thereafter, the recipient, whom the surgeon had spoken of, walked onto the stage. Her name is Carmen Tarleton. Now, we had heard about Carmen from the surgeon, which was amazing enough, but then she told her story. Her estranged husband broke into her house with a baseball bat and an industrial strength chemical and used them both. Carmen was doused in lye by her former husband and suffered chemical burns over 80% of her body. Her face was left completely disfigured. She was in a coma for three months. She lost sight in both eyes, although she now has some sight in one eye. So after Carmen told her story, the teenagers at the Congress started tweeting their questions. Teens asked Carmen about her pain, details about the transplant, getting used to a new face, and how she felt about coming to the Congress. Great questions. Then this question came in from a brave soul. Did you forgive him? Did you forgive him? You could have heard a pin drop after that question was asked. Finally, Carmen spoke. Yes, yes, I forgave him completely. Another teen tweeted, is anyone traveling with you here today? Most teenagers were in high school and had traveled with a parent to the Congress, so it was a relevant question for them. Carmen said, yes, my piano teacher, who is also my fiancé, who is the love of my life. He's in the audience. Her fiancé waved, and the teenagers jumped on their feet, hollering and clapping. In that moment, we all learned something about forgiveness. There is no future without forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of faith, and it takes courage. Friends, forgiving is hard. It is for me. And as a pastor and chaplain, I know it's hard for you too. Most of us will agree that forgiveness is a good thing, and we probably should do it. But how? 
My grandma used to say, if I want to forgive someone who has wronged me, I have to say, Jesus, help me. It's a prayer, of course. Jesus, help. Help me to forgive. Then my grandma said, I have to pray for the jerk who wronged me. Jesus, help. Help me to forgive. My grandma was a Methodist minister. And I would add, sometimes we are the ones who are in the wrong. And we have to be big enough to say, I was wrong. Jesus, help. Help me to forgive myself and to say, I was wrong and I am sorry. Friends, it is hard to forgive others who have hurt you, and it's hard to forgive ourselves. But let's not wait until we are on our deathbed and have regrets. Sometimes we think that God can't possibly forgive us. Sometimes we can't even name the terrible things we have done. And we believe God would never forgive us for the things we have said and done. But that's not true. That's what the Easter message is about. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven people. And forgiven people forgive. We have to unlock the door of our hearts. Forgiveness is an act of faith. It's not easy, and it requires prayer and a lot of hard work. But friends, forgiving leads to new life, plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and hope and peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Peace. Peace. And so it goes, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Likewise, we can't put ourselves together again without the help of our advocate, our helper, our comforter. As Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.